Okay, well, my desire with Ruth is to go kind of slow because it's very good, very sweet, and it has a lot in it. So today we will probably go, I guess, what you've got there on your sheet, 115 to 23 ish, uh, depending on how quickly we move along. So when we left uh, off last time, two weeks ago, I guess. We had three women, and I want to just touch on that again. Uh, you've got three women who are on the road between Moab and Bethlehem. And I, I think there's a lot of ways in which they were also between those two worlds, uh, but in some very different places. If you were just looking at them, they probably look somewhat similar, an older woman and two younger women who were... Um, kind of initially pleading to stay with her and uh, may have looked very similar, but they really were in very different places, and I want to uh, look at that a little bit. They're between Moab, which is a place of idolatry, immorality. Uh, it's a people that was really under God's curse, and they were on their way to Bethlehem. And so... Uh, Bethlehem was, had the name the uh, city of bread, and it was literally the place where God uh, had put his hand, would put his hand, where uh, it was, would be the city of David, it would be the place where, uh, of course, Jesus was born, so the Messiah. So just a lot of things going on in this uh, that we see. And so Think about these three women again uh, for a minute. Again, we, we touched on it at the end of, of the last time, but you've got Orpah, and I guess if you're filling in your blank, I would put lacking faith. I mean, there was, there was a level of affection. She seemed to appreciate Naomi, so it isn't like she just seemed devoid of all that. She actually had some things that seemed good, but yet in the end, she goes back. And take a look at verse 15 of chapter 1. Um, this is where uh, Naomi, or uh, Orpah, sorry, has gone back. And uh, it's, Naomi says, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back. And she recognizes to her people and to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. So we talked about this, but where Orpah, she was not only going back from following Naomi, Naomi realized she is going back to her gods. Naomi seemed to be in a place, uh, we'll look at it in a minute, where she wasn't in an ideal place either, that she was encouraging her to do that. Uh, I think just looking at it from a very practical point of view, go back to your people, they'll take care of you. But really from a spiritual point of view, maybe not such a great suggestion. And then verse 16, Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So you've got Naomi as the second person there, and I would put bruised and diminished faith. So she still had a faith. She was going back to be with God, and I do think that was uh, definitive. That still was the thing. It wasn't where she probably wanted to be or where we would want to be, but she still was moving back toward God. Uh, in many ways, to the place where his blessing was. So some of the other things there, her faith lived out, held some real attraction. I think it's at least interesting, both of the women seemed to want to go with her. It wasn't like you know, the mother-in-law jokes where they just hated being with her, didn't want to be with her. Um, and particularly Ruth has this powerful thing that just comes forth, and that most of you have heard repeated many times at weddings. Um, and so there, there likely was some real attractiveness to the way that Naomi lived out her faith, even though 
you know, we're going to focus on this whole bitterness thing because that, that was a big deal. Uh, she still seemed to have a lot uh, to commend her to these ladies. And then the, the next line down now, so she's had this attractiveness to her faith at some point. Now she is embittered and nearly hopeless. She will kind of say the same when she arrives in Bethlehem. But she still recognizes God's sovereignty and hopes for blessings for her daughters-in-law. So we won't go back through that, but she's talked about that may God bless you, uh, and she is moving toward uh, Bethlehem. So it, it does seem like she knows that these hard things, and she's going to say it repeatedly, these are from God. God did this. He, she doesn't say, well, you know, God is gentle, but life is hard, or you know, some of the things that we may hear that we think are being, you know, sort of letting God off the hook, so to speak, but really they're not biblical. They're not how God doesn't need to be taken off the hook. We need to look at how he really works and engage in that. And Naomi may not be perfect, but she's very good at that. She realizes these have been some really hard things. Her husband has died. Uh, her two sons have died. She's in this foreign land. And so life is pretty brutal. And she says, God has done this. She may not have all the right motives for God figured out, uh, but she does understand his sovereignty. And then the last thing under Naomi, stepping, she's stepping toward God and his people, and she's investing in trust in God. So in the end, I often think of that with the New Testament where it talks of you of little faith. Little faith isn't perfect, but little faith is better than no faith. Uh, and little faith usually at least took them in the right direction. And Naomi did seem to have this bruised, battered, uh, somewhat embittered faith, but she still exercised what she had. And sometimes that's where some of us need to be. Uh, or if we find ourselves there, we need to at least step toward God. And that, that's no small thing when you look at the huge difference in, you know, we don't hear anything more about Orpah, uh, assume she did go back to her people and, and their gods, whereas Naomi, uh, again, we'll come back to her, but she's going to go from this place of bitterness to just a spectacularly uh, happy ending for her. And so a lot of it is, is taking what we have, where we are, even with our struggles, and being able to still step toward God and not give up on God or walk away from God as, as Orpah did. So, and then Ruth, uh, I would just put brimming with faith. Uh, this, that wonderful thing that she says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be with you, I'm even going to die with you, your people, your God, I'm all in. And that's not for a little while, that's until death. Uh, so living out Hesed love at great risk. So Hesed, again, is that loyal love uh, lived out. So it's an active and persistently loyal kind of love. And she, um, she was really giving that, reflecting that to Naomi. All right, so... Yeah, and I would say about Naomi, uh, one last comment there as far as her uh, having an attractive faith that she lived out. You'd sometimes hear the saying, uh, it's something like, uh, preach the gospel and when necessary use words. Well, I don't love that. But I would say you might tweak it a little bit and say something like proclaim the gospel um, or I'll put it this way, your proclamation of the gospel should go well beyond words. So I do think we could say that much. That, and that's, you know, maybe, maybe the good intention that, that that is built around it. It goes, I would say, too far. But I do think uh, it seems that Naomi did that. And that's what we want is for our life to live out the gospel in such a way that it is attractive.
or when the New Testament talks about adorning the gospel with good works. Okay, so those are the the three women in their very different places. So let's talk about bitterness. Um, It's a huge thing in uh, in scripture, in lives, uh, in uh, biblical counseling. Uh, certainly comes up a lot. So verses 19 and 20 says, The two of them went on, so Ruth and Naomi, until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And I don't know if that's just been a long time. She changed a lot in 10 years. Her hard life might have changed her a lot in 10 years. Hard to know, but they... Asked the question, and she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. And again, Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Uh, For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. So again, she puts it squarely in the hands of God, that God has dealt this way with me. She's careful with her words, though. Uh, She doesn't say that was, you know, he was evil in doing that. He was definitely wrong in doing this. He was not fair to me in doing this. I deserve better. She just says, this is how he's dealt with me. And there's another place where she says, he has testified against me. Um, So in a sense, as far as that goes, it seemed to be true. uh, That that word for bitterness is, is that idea of harsh, very much not sweet, not gentle. Uh, I must admit, I think of if any of you has ever had a persimmon fruit. Uh, we have a tree that was there when we moved there, and it's still there, and it's got these really pretty-looking little fruits. And I thought, well, those are, those are edible. I'm going to try one of those. And if you've ever done one, they will suck all the moisture out of your mouth and you'll just go, wah! They are very, very bitter. So that's, that's kind of what that word is talking about, only in life. And it doesn't really say, I mean, you could think of that as a bitter poison. And I do think the way we respond to bitter or hard things in life uh, makes a huge difference in the impact it has, whether it's a, a, a bitter medicine that really is curative or whether it's a bitter poison that just tends to harden us more. Um, so let me ask that question that's on there. What kinds of things commonly embitter believers toward God? So you don't necessarily have to say this is what embittered me for a while or this is what's currently embittering me, but just you understand that these are things that will embitter a Christian. So they will make them, well, let me make one more distinction. So there are bitter things that happen and then there's embittering within us. And those are two different things. But So we're looking at where Naomi says, Call me Mara. The, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me, and I am bitter. I'm a bitter old woman is basically how I think of her uh, describing herself. So what, what things can you think of that would be common to embitter a Christian if we're not careful? Yep. Being treated unfairly. Okay. Treated unfairly. And that's always going to be by our estimation. Um, there's a uh, verse, actually, we're going to look at shortly in Lamentations, uh, where it says, no man should complain in view of his own sins. Uh, but we still feel like things seem very unfair sometimes. So that's, that's a big one. What else? Yep, Joe. Right, right. So again, it can seem both unfair and people of God shouldn't be like this. They shouldn't be treating each other like that. So it can make you cynical, hardened, um, and bitter. Okay, Josh? Overinvesting in friends, as in 
ascribing mosulism and its promise to something, like if you prayed for a specific outcome for a decade, and then you brought up a sin that didn't know. Okay. And how did you word the first sentence you said? Over investing in France. Okay. I prayed for this so long, so it's going to happen. When it's not something God promised that if you pray for it, you'll get it. Okay. Yeah, and that can have an edge of unfairness, or at least God not being how we think he should be. Anything else come to mind? Yep, thank you. Prolonged illnesses or a death in the family. What was the first? Prolonged illness. Okay, or a death in the family. Okay. Um, yeah, again, a lot of these will go in what we expect. The difference between expectations and reality of what happens and how we view that. Okay, anything else come to mind? I think a lot of things that we just really think God should surely do for us. And, and again, you can think of a lot of things. Get the job you want, get the spouse you want, get the um, amount of money you want, get to, and sometimes it can be more spiritual things like someone coming to the Lord that we love and care about. And time goes on, and maybe they even die, and we, as far as we could tell, they had not come to the Lord. I mean, they're, so these are not usually trivial things. Uh, they can be pretty weighty things. Um, so I've got, um, yeah, unfulfilled expectations was the number one I put on there. Uh, unforgiveness, where we, um, that just builds on itself. When we're bitter, we sometimes don't forgive. When we don't forgive, we get more bitter. Uh, and it becomes this hardened uh, type of uh, low-grade anger. Pride and entitlement, again, again, that whole sense of what we deserve is skewed. So we think that we should be treated a certain way. I think that's one of the things that's so attractive about Ruth is she doesn't seem to expect much. And then so when anybody does something good for her, she's like, wow, you know, I'm your servant, you've done this. And it doesn't seem put on, it just seems, that's how she thinks of herself. So versus, you know, you need to, you need to treat me in a certain way. You're not treating me the way I should be treated. And that's, that, is a, that sense of entitlement creeps into almost all of us, maybe all of us. Um, and so it, it makes bitterness worse. Uh, obviously, just plain old harsh circumstances. Uh, that whole chronic anger, resentment, unforgiveness. Uh, you've heard at least uh, one of these verses before. Uh, Leviticus 19.17, You shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's a, that's a really powerful Old Testament verse, I think. I, I go back to that a lot. That, that whole sense of, and, he, and you've got to be honest with yourself as far as a grudge. When you see somebody and you're like, mm, you know, like cross the street or, or go down a different aisle or whatever, I mean, there may be things that you can't get totally to the point of, you know, we're best of friends, but we need to be honest when we've got a, a bitterness, a, an unforgiveness, or at least think through, why do I feel that way? What is, what is the deal? Um, Genesis 27:41. Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And of course, you have Cain and Abel similarly, where they felt like they should have had a certain amount of uh, respect and blessing, and somebody else got it. And even worse, if it's somebody close to you, like a brother, um, those are powerful things. In bitter, uh, being bitter is not trivial. It not only uh, it dishonors God, it wrecks our walk with God, it uh, disturbs uh, church and families and marriages, and can even lead to at least wishing somebody was dead, if not outright planning to kill them in some cases like this. 
So it's, it's a huge deal. So what, what would be some clues? I mean, if, you know, okay. From a physician point of view, I can't help thinking, how do you diagnose this? I mean, how do you know you're getting bitter or you're starting to go down that road? When it's way down the road, it probably should be obvious, but what would be clues that you might be becoming bitter about something? Yeah. I'll say you uh, start neglecting looking for God's word for wisdom. Okay. Yeah, because it might tell you something you really didn't want to do or think. Okay. Anything else? Yeah. Start grumbling. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, why is, and that's particularly, uh, the other thing about bitterness is, as you begin, and grumbling in general, we may think we're grumbling against other people, uh, the driver that just cut you off or whatever, but in the end, all these things are sifted to believers, at least, through the hand of God. And so we really, that is something that convicts me regularly is, I, I think grumbling is one of the hardest things to get away from completely. And so you're really grumbling against God, though. Okay, a lot of hands. We'll go with Dan. I think it's uh, mixed with it affects your emotions. Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Yeah. Sarcasm. Sarcasm. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just a passing comment is that uh, because I can be definitely sarcastic, that it should be very rare and very certain that this is a friend and this is really just trying to be funny. Because uh, it is, yeah, very frequently uh, the truth comes out in a joke, and it, but it's a jab. Yeah. Steve? Uh, just, oh, go ahead. We'll go with Steve. Say, when you find yourself withdrawing from individuals or walking away from church, yep. Yeah, and usually come up with other reasons. We're just super busy right now. We just can't make it. Yeah. Joe? Yeah, I would say <clears> like <throat> your thought life is like eliminating, um, kind of feeding that root of bitterness. Yeah. I know, like, that's the, that's the massive struggle. Yeah. When he mows the lawn is when yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you You read his mind while he's doing that. <laughs> Okay, so all right, we'll do one more, Becky. Anger and depression. Okay, yeah, anger and depression for sure. Um, yeah, and so much of it really is being honest before the Lord, staying in the Word so that you're actually getting new things that the Lord is using to uh, convict and to help. Um, so again, this is a big enough one that I actually want to look at an extended passage. So if you'll turn to Lamentations 3. This is just a powerful, powerful, uh, and actually Jay and I have threatened to do Lamentations since we've done Job and Ecclesiastes. So this is my sneaky way of pulling in a little bit of it. But um, So experiencing... Bitterness. The first one I've got there is affliction from God, so just difficult circumstances. It says, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness. <laughs> And hardship. In dark places he has made me dwell, like those who have long been dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. So, you know, this is Jeremiah, and he went through things that uh, probably none of us uh, has gone through or will necessarily go through. But I do think comparing miseries is not of that much benefit when we're going through something it's can be miserable 
And so as we go through this a little bit more, I want you to think, are there any times? Am I currently in a time like this? Have I been in a time like this? How have I done with getting uh, beyond it? As I'm getting older, they sometimes say, you know, old people get crusty, which is a nice way of saying, watch out or you might get old and bitter. And that's not where we want to go at whatever age we're at. So as you're doing these descriptions, as we're reading some of these descriptions, don't just think, oh, that, that's interesting. Jeremiah went through that. Think of, uh, are there places, times? Because I would argue at some level, this is a common experience. So affliction from God. The next one, which might even be worse, is silence from God. So verse 8, even when I cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. So when you cry out and call for help and he doesn't seem to answer, and again, I don't think you can be a believer for very long to not feel that, whether it's true or not. Uh, and I think that's a huge thing uh, that, and this, this will at least start us, it could be a lot longer discussion on that. I mean, you look at David in the Psalms, I think that's why one of the reasons we love the Psalms is, I mean, he goes from, oh, Lord, you are so wonderful, like paths of righteousness and, and green meadows and all these different things, and then you have, Lord, where are you? I've called out to you day and night, and you're not answering. And so I, I do think those are the common experiences of humans, uh, even um, strong believers. Uh, you think of people like Spurgeon with their depression and such, and part of you goes, how can somebody that could say the things he said and seem to have a walk with God that good struggle? Uh, but... Uh, and again, even Christ in the garden, that there's, there's no complete sparing of those things. So then I, I've got a question mark here, because I don't really love the word, but at least it felt this way to Jeremiah, violence from God. Verse 10, he is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for the arrow. He made the arrows of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. So to Jeremiah, at least at this time, God felt like uh, a roaring lion in a very uh, hard way that he, he feared to be near him. And then abuse from people. Verse 14, I have become a laughingstock to all my people. They're mocking song all the day. And again, at some level, even that is filtered from the Lord. So we can't just say, well, I'm, you know, I'm bitter about these people, but that has nothing to do with God. As believers, it always does. Filled with... Uh, Bitterness without peace, without happiness, without strength, without hope is where he got to. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. He's really coming to the end of things. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. Thankfully, he then turns a corner. Uh, so, uh, point two there, intentional remembering so as to have hope. And I do think this is one of the ways we won't fully deal with it, but in dealing with bitterness, it is partly recalling intentionally, remembering intentionally the good things that God has done, the things that we can recall. Uh, and what he has done in Christ is always at the top of that list. 
So it says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. So he, he is bringing back hope as he comes to hopelessness. The Lord has said his mercy in action never ceases. Uh, verse 22, the Lord's loving kindness, and that is that word has said, indeed never cease. So that kind of mercy in action never stops. It may feel like it paused, it may, but even then, I think it's, it's because, and we'll see this with Naomi, we start to miss the mercies that are in the dark places. But they are there, and those are things that when we're in hard and difficult places, you want to look for his mercies because there always are some. Uh, Naomi totally, she said, I went away full and I came back empty, and here's Ruth right next to her. Hello, you've got this incredible woman uh, that has been helping you and has pledged to the death that she's going to stay with you, and you're going to eventually have a grandchild through. And But when you're in a hard place, sometimes you miss those things. So, so Jeremiah is reminding himself, we need to remind ourselves. Uh, the next, his compassions never fail. And again, that's that word for like a, the gut, the gut feelings of sympathy. Uh, it says God has those toward us when we suffer. Uh, there's the psalm that says he keeps our tears in a bottle. I mean, there are some powerful things about God's ability and willingness to be compassionate. So, for his compassions never fail, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His faithfulness is great. Uh, and then verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. And I love that when you think of uh, your favorite dessert and somebody says, how much do you want? Uh, if you didn't have to worry about calories and weight and carbs and all those different things, uh, you'd want a ton. And for the Lord to be your portion, it doesn't get any better than that. And then it says, uh, I've got, he is good to those who keep seeking him, good to those who seek him. Uh, verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. And it, it reminds me of that Hebrews 11, 6 verse, without faith is, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, you have to believe that he's there, that he exists, uh, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. If we, if we totally were devoid of that hope, we would stop seeking. Uh, and again, Naomi seems to at least have that hope that even if it was weak, even if her faith was weak, that if I follow this God, uh, there is hope. And then he will not reject forever. Um, And we've, we've talked about this verse, if you've been here in the past, he does not afflict from the heart. Verse 33 says, he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men, depending on your uh, translation, it might say from the heart. But it's the idea that he doesn't afflict just because he likes to afflict. That's not his heart. His heart is... He does these things only when they're necessary, uh, that when we uh, need to have, I was talking with somebody earlier about uh, anxiety uh, and how it can be so rough and for some people. Uh, and so as you're trying to do things and you're having this anxiety and then you start being anxious about, am I going to, they call it anticipatory anxiety, where you're anxious about, am I going to get anxious at a bad time? Um, and we talked about, it's often God's way of humbling us that, you know, we no longer think, oh, I've got this. I can, I can do this anytime I want. You realize that you could 
uh, fall apart and have a meltdown at about any time. Those are, those are ways that none of us would probably pick, but God uses. Uh, so this idea that he doesn't just get his jollies out of making somebody, putting somebody into pain, anxiety, all the different things that are so difficult. Uh, he doesn't, that's not his heart that he loves affliction. It's a tool that he uses uh, to grow us and change us and remake us. Uh, then the next is we should not complain, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we should not complain in light of our sins. Uh, verse 39, why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? And again, I've said this before when, when uh, it reminds me the most with gr greeting cards that say, hey, I hope you get the kind of day you deserve. It's like, no, no, let's not, let's not go there. So I do think when we think something has been unfair, we are uh, pretty much by definition losing uh, a good focus on what we really deserve, and we may want to justify ourselves and feel like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't believe that, uh, but the Word of God would say differently. Uh, we need to repent and return to the Lord. Verse 40, let us examine and probe our ways. So it's kind of working off of that. You think your sins are nothing. Examine and probe your ways and let us return to the Lord. We lift up our heart and hands toward God in heaven. So again, this is talking about when we see that we've gotten, we're in bitterness, we're in difficulty. Uh, again, we, we intentionally remind ourselves of things, of who this God is, what he's done, what we really deserve, who we are. And then he, he finally gets, if we skip down a little bit, verse 56, that God will hear our prayer. Uh, it says, you have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief, from my cry for help. You drew near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. O oh Lord, you have pleaded my soul's cause. You have redeemed my life. Now we're going to see that lived out in Naomi. Uh, but again, I want to encourage you to apply that to yourselves, especially if you're in a place of darkness, bitterness, difficulty, where it seems like God is rather silent. Um, Jeremiah definitely wrestled with that. Naomi wrestled with that. But continuing to make your direction toward God, even if you don't feel like it's a strong direction right now. Be nice if we're all Ruth's, Ruth's and Boaz's. That would be uh, great, but sometimes we're Naomi's. Uh, okay, a few final thoughts on bitterness, just to kind of wrap that up. Uh, we don't want to let a root of bitterness cause us to fall short of the grace of God. You're familiar with this verse. We talked about Esau a little while ago, but uh, Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. <clears throat> and again, if, if we're digging into this, you know, Esau thought he had been treated badly, but he really had stepped into that himself and made that agreement himself. And there, the idea then is that uh, as we get this root of bitterness, this fixed, it's, it's more of a fixed decision that God has not treated us rightly. That sometimes it's in the in the masquerade of other people haven't treated me right. But again, as believers, that translates into God. And that as we do that, sometimes it can be so severe as to show that we're not even believers. We've rejected God's ways and will in our life. Um, and that next blank you've got there. God is remaking us through bitter circumstances. So again, they're not for nothing. They're uh, being used 
of God. So Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And you're, you're well aware of Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So it's like this, the bitter circumstances are a very sharp tool uh, that's being used that can either, if we allow it, make us more like Christ, which as believers, obviously, that's where we want to go, or if we keep rejecting it, can cause more and more pain and hardness and uh, more of a poisoning. Um, and one other thing, it, you know, again, talking about how we respond to circumstances, um, Philippians 4.11 is where Paul says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And that would kind of be the, the pretty good opposite of uh, bitter is contentment. Um, I know how to get along with humble means. I know also how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So again, I find that encouraging that even Paul had to apparently learn contentment. And so being bitter, being unhappy, grumbling, those are things that uh, sadly come naturally to us. And so he had learned uh, through Christ and through the Spirit to uh, be able to be content in all things. It's always amazing to be around somebody like that who is just particularly good at being thankful for um, any and every circumstance. Uh, but that's, again, part of this bitterness, it's, it's this persistently trusting God for what he brings us, persistently, I would say, even getting ourselves to be thankful. Uh, there was a, a woman that I read about who had this devastating disease that was going to shorten her life greatly. She was only uh, in her uh, early 30s, and she says, I thank God every day for this. I don't quite mean it yet, but I intend to. That's a powerful thing where somebody is, is willing themselves to see it as this is from the hand of God. And I will, and, and again, it's not that we, uh, oh, I just love being in pain. It's thanking God that he loves her and is doing something with this hard uh, providence. There's a, a Scottish author. Some of you may have read some of his stuff, George MacDonald. Uh, all of his uh, theology is not uh, just right, but he does have some uh, things you can glean that are pretty strong. Um, he tells a story of a woman who had experienced a great tragedy in her life, and the heartache, it says, was so crushing, and her sorrow was so bitter that the one in distress exclaimed, I wish I had never been made. With spiritual discernment, her friend answered, My dear, you are not fully made yet. You're only being made, and this is the maker's process. So, a lot to think about with, with bitterness, but ponder that when you get a little time to, to think it through. And I, I put a sneak peek at the end, Naomi, and you, uh, I assume, know the story, but who now considers herself Mara, bitter, will become like Mary, which that can mean beloved or bitter. Uh, interesting um, options there for that name. Uh, but it just strikes me that uh, where Naomi says, call me Mara because the, the Lord has dealt with me bitterly, Luke 1.46, Mary says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, on, all generations will count me blessed. And so rather than bitter, she says, For the mighty one 
has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And I really picture Naomi saying something like that uh, in the end. But right now she's in a place that's, that's a hard place. Okay. So then, moving on. Um, yeah, and I guess I don't want to spend too much time here, so I'll just say, also think about not only how we get ourselves to avoid bitterness, to get out of bitterness, but how you help somebody else. And, and I would say one of the best things you could possibly do is to be a spectacular friend, to be a Ruth, uh, because I, I do think you can speak the truth about who God really is if, if you hear somebody saying something that sounds kind of harsh and, and bitter toward God. Uh, I mean, it is, we, we want to say something about, you know, God really isn't like that. And, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but they're probably not in a place where they're going to hear that very well, usually when they're bitter. And so speak a little and judiciously and so on, but I do think the best thing you could do is to be a Ruth. Ruth didn't, uh, we, at least we don't read that she corrected Naomi and said, you know, like, you're not empty, I'm right here. Uh, or you don't need to be so bitter, you know, we're, this is, it's all going to be okay, and, you know, whatever you would want to say. She just really ministered to her and loved her, and, and I'm not saying that was even her big focus, but that's, that's just how she dealt with Naomi. So in helping others to come out of bitterness, I, I will say, if you've had times, which I assume you all have, where you have at least been down in the dumps and discouraged, uh, maybe even discouraged about the people of God uh, and your own walk as a follower of God. I mean, those, those are the things that are very frustrating because they're kind of at the core of who we are and what we should be doing. And I've had sometimes God bring somebody along who says something or uh, just engages or writes you a note or, I mean, something that's just kind of sweet and out of the blue and didn't seem to have any ulterior motive. They just decided to do that. Um, those are powerful things to pull you out of uh, a slide toward bitterness. So I would just in, encourage, uh, I think we, we all could probably, some people are really good at that. I don't think I'm naturally really good at that, but trying to be better. Uh, so all of us, I would say, uh, that is just a sweet thing when we minister to the people of God. Sometimes with, uh, again, some, some words about it, but, but definitely with actions. All right, so yeah, verse 21, we've already mentioned this, so we don't need to spend too much time there, but we're Naomi says, I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So again, Naomi doesn't really take Ruth into account. She doesn't see the mercies of God in the midst of all this difficulty. Um, you know, we have this tendency to go, you know, my life is ruled by Murphy's Law. If anything can go wrong, it will go wrong at the wrong time. Uh, that's just not where we want to be as, as believers. Uh, or when we say nothing is going right. I have on occasion, uh, again, I, I can uh, tend toward the same thing, but I've occasionally had a, a patient say, nothing in my body is working. And I usually can't quite let that go. <laughs> I usually go, you would be amazed how many more things could go wrong. <laughs> so, but, but we do tend to, when, when some things aren't going well, we tend to think nothing is going right. And Naomi seemed to be in that place. But she did, uh, again, I, I like her honesty. I like a, a bit of reverence. She seems to be careful how she words this. Uh, I think it's better than, you know, we run into each other and, how's it going? Great. You know, and it's not great at all. Or, uh, you know, I'm fine and you're not fine. Well, again, it, as you're passing in the halls, may not be the time to go. <laughs> Do you have an hour to go through it? But, 
but still that, that she doesn't just let it pass like, oh, it's Naomi, yeah, how's it going? Oh, great. Um, I do think there's, there's something to be said for her honesty and uh, there's a lot of hope in that. It doesn't mean you have to be complaining, but it also doesn't mean you have to uh, lie about how you're doing. I even think that verse, let us not lie to one another, uh, includes that, that it's that, oh, I'm, I'm all good, I've got my sins worked out, and I'm uh, just not struggling, and, and uh, you know, kids are perfect, married. I, you know, like our pharmaceutical reps, so, several of them come in and go, kids all good? <laughs> I go, you know, I have way too many kids to just blanket over that and say, they're doing okay, there's a lot of details I could give you, but... Um, and she also, again, as we've said, recognizes God's sovereignty in her situation. Uh, but she just seems to be currently missing his grace, his mercy, maybe his said love. Um, all right, so let's at least get into verse or uh, chapter two a little bit. Um, oh yeah, and that last last verse twenty two. Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And you just feel like, okay, they're foreshadowing a lot of hope, a lot of promise. Uh, so then verse 1 of chapter 2, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of... And it depends, again, on your translation. It could be great wealth. It could be of great worth. He was a worthy man uh, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So now we're going to be introduced to him. Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So that one statement, um, and again, because of time, I'm just going to give them to you, but I mean, if you look at that, uh, please let me do this, and again, there's so many worse things that Ruth could have said, like, hey, is there anything to eat? There doesn't seem to be much to eat around here. How, hey, how are you going to, how are we going to make it? How are we going to, there's all kinds of complaints. But she instead has uh, humility, courtesy, industry. I love her readiness to go and do something. Expectant trust in God. Uh, wisdom, this is a good plan. Lack of grumbling Lack of self-pity, and I think I've mentioned this, but I, I like the word moping. She didn't mope. She could have moped. Um, and again, that expectant trust in God is, is not what's supposed to lead us to be passive. It's, it should lead us to expectant work because God is going to bless it. So this gleaning thing... Um, on your sheet there, uh, I've got, it's a, a hand up more than a hand out. So Leviticus 19.9 says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And then Deuteronomy 24, 19, similarly, when you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again for the alien, the orphan, the widow. So I love that God builds into this system a way to take care of the alien, the orphan, the widow that involves 
them still coming in and, and working and being able to gather these things. Uh, so it isn't, you know, gather it all together and drop it off at their door. Now, again, there's a place for that. There are times where people can't do that, but, but the, the normal way of doing this is you leave provision and you're generous in a way that gives them both uh, the dignity of work and the habit of work. Uh, it's, I think in our day and age, it's almost like, well, I don't know, that's a little, it's a little rough, that's a little thoughtless, whatever. Um, but I don't think so. It's, it's I think, a brilliant uh, way that God worked into the system uh, and encourage them to trust the Lord that we don't have to squeeze every little bit of profit out of what you've given us. We can be generous with it, but again, still allowing those folks to uh, work at it and to be able to gather for themselves. So she departed, verse 3, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Uh, and I've got there, nothing just happens. And it, it seems like in, in the context of Scripture that it's, it's almost a, you know, seemingly it just happened or uh, almost a tongue-in-cheek sort of just happened. So possible candidates for determining events. I'll just, we'll just leave it with this. Um, so providence is the belief that God controls every aspect of his creation. Uh, you may have heard things like there, there are no rebel molecules, that, that he uh, controls all of that. And it's interesting that that gets mocked a lot. Oh, you know, this, this invisible God that you, you make up, the God of the gaps and things like that. It's just to fill in the things you can't figure out. Um, but just for starters, thinking of, okay, so who are the other candidates for ordering the events uh, of your life, of the universe? So we'll take just a minute. Who, what can you think of as things you hear about uh, as the things or beings or whatever that order our events? or order the events of the universe. Yeah. Follow your heart. Follow your heart, okay. All right. What else? Karma. Coincidence. Karma what? Coincidence. Coincidence. All right. Uh, the invisible hand. What's that? The invisible hand. Whatever that is. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I've, I've got here chance or luck. Uh, there's a great, great quote by this guy. He says, chance is a fragment of a dreaming pillow. Chance never was, and it never can be. It is no thing. Thus, to the child of God, there is no trifle or unimportant event. Momentous issues often hang on quick words, sudden looks, and unintended steps. It's a good quote. But uh, chance, and uh, I remember uh, Sproul going through that. The chance, it isn't a thing. It isn't, it's just a, a word to explain something. It doesn't do anything. It's not uh, an entity even. So chance is just, or luck, we might call it. And, and again, we sometimes loosely, I sometimes will use, loosely use that word. But as far as a real thing that determines events, it's a pretty poor candidate. Fate, again, some of these things, it's... it's <laughs> Part of the reason they get by is they're really vague. And so uh, ourselves, we, we can think we're just, we're the uh, uh, makers of our own fate. Uh, false gods and other religions. The one I, in my world, hear about so often is it goes under different names, whether it's evolution, biology, or matter. Uh, there's probably other names for it as well, but... Uh, one of the podcasts I listened to by this brilliant medical dude, but he's very much an atheist. He's just always going, isn't biology amazing? I mean, biology isn't a force. It's just, it's the study of things. I mean, it, 
again, he would mock, I am sure, any idea that there is a supernatural, all-powerful God who's the unmade maker, the uncaused cause of everything. I mean, to me, at least philosophically, that actually makes some sense. Instead of using words that really, they sound sort of pseudoscientific, but if you go to their base. So it just, uh, it's kind of enjoyable to look, and if we had more time, we could look at some of these passages about um, providence and how God works. Uh, But it is very uh, almost humorous that it's well, it just so happened because of course everything's going to go off of this Ruth and Boaz uh, are going to become the relationship up till now it's been uh, Ruth and Naomi but that's going to all shift alright any last comments let me pray Father, we again thank you that you uh, know our frame, you know that we are but dust, and yet, uh, Lord, you call us to holy things, you call us to worship, you call us to love people, you call us to forgive and be forgiven, Uh, you call us to things that are so far beyond us, and Lord, we thank you that you give us your spirit, that you give us your word, that you give us Christ. Uh, that you give us uh, the forgiveness and repentance and conviction that we so need. And Lord, you give us joy and love and peace, uh, so many good gifts. And Father, we thank you for them. We do pray that we would better reflect Christ, who he is, and what he has done for each of us. Uh, Lord, you are a good God, and we pray that we would be better followers of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.